0: Hi, welcome to Off Script. I'm Zach Lewis, and I'm Dr. Draper. Today on the show, we're taking a look at Wonder Woman 1984. Yes, by popular demand, we had Finally. one com- We had one comment on YouTube that asked us to review it. So here we are. Yes, uh, we're also taking a look at Disney Pixar's Soul. Uh, Both of these films were released uh, at home over the holiday and also in theaters. So we are excited to talk about them both. We're going to get to the news. And we got a little bit of news about the DC Cinematic Universe as well that we'll talk about in our middle segment, The Death of Cinema. But before we get to all of that, Andy, how was your holiday? We're not quite in 2021 yet, but we're close.
1: It's been good. I've been resting Watching a lot of films.
0: Yeah. yeah. Anything? <laughs> uh, anything outside of the show that you've watched recently?
1: Yeah. So I rewatched uh, *Hunt for the Wilder People*, uh, which is one of Taika Waititi's uh, earlier comedies uh, before he did *Thor*, *Ragnarok*, and *Jojo Rabbit*. Um, and man, that movie is just so funny. I mean, it's so well done. Um, And then I also, I got really, I've been meaning to watch the extended director's cut of Dr. Sleep, which is three hours long and it's on HBO Max. uh, And I finally got around to it and really enjoyed it. It, It's done really well. Like the extra scenes really add a lot to the movie.
0: We watched that when it came out. Well, it must have been 2019, right? Yes. That's good stuff. That's not a bad movie. I need to go back and rewatch it. Trying to think if there's anything I've watched. Just Christmas movies and these, of course. I'm excited to talk about them both, but let's jump into the news. uh First things first, theaters are getting paid billions in a federal stimulus package. You heard it right, not us, but them, uh and we're excited that they're going to be getting something. So, Andy, what do you? I think I found this story and sent it to you, so I can talk about it. But what do do, do you know about this?
1: Yeah, I'm not. I'm not super familiar with this, other than that this is. Primarily for smaller, uh, the independent theaters like Elmo Draft House. It is not for the big boys like Cinemark and AMC.
0: Yeah. So this is part of a uh, nine hundred billion dollar stimulus deal. It was reached by Congress last Sunday. Uh, this is this includes fifteen billion dollars in aids uh, for struggling movie theaters, live venues, and other cultural institutions in what's called a Save Our Stages provision right this is money that's specifically dedicated for the arts independent movie theaters cultural institutions um i think that's good stuff this is not going to be going to companies like amc cinemark is not getting a dime of this according to them at least this is going to be exclusively for like real small joints maybe even alamo Drafthouse would be too big this is just for you know little places the little people right? right the mom and pop shops uh and i i think i think that's a good thing uh, as far as I know, AMC could get could be getting a chunk of it, right? Um, but I, I I don't think that's so bad. Any hot takes on this, Andy? Um, well, it, it's nice to see
1: theaters getting a little bit of relief in this very uh, troubling time. Uh, we know they really need it, and you know, unfortunately, the theaters aren't going to kind of return to normal until the summer or or next fall. So it's it, there's a long struggle uh, ahead of time, and so hopefully this will help keep them afloat.
0: Definitely. Uh, it says over a third of that $15 billion is going exclusively to movie theaters, so that's not too shabby, right? $5 billion, it should be going to something like uh, 1,500 live theater companies, about 3,500 movie theaters, so, you know, I'll take it. Why not, right? In, uh, in, in times of economic trial and tribulation, why not give the little guy a leg up? I'm sure they could need it. I know AMC will probably be crying about it, because they definitely need it, but like I said, I, I'm sure they'll figure out a way to weasel their way into getting a chunk of that money, so either way. It's Exciting our next story uh, Hollywood studio puts MGM itself up for sale at five billion dollars MGM is selling itself Andy have you heard?
1: (laughs) I I Have Uh, in the middle of the uh, the streaming wars which we are hot in the middle of Content is king and we we've seen Disney leverage their properties namely Marvel and Lucasfilms uh, Star Wars and HBO do the same thing with uh, DC and their other properties. so MGM is trying to get bought as well their big crown jewel is the james bond franchise they don't really have too much else going on but the bond franchise is is a big deal so they're trying to uh, get bought by someone apple netflix disney maybe who knows
0: yeah i, I mean it's exciting uh, mgm has a lot of really cool properties like you said uh, their hot properties right now are james bond and rocky which is not that hot but i know those creed movies did pretty good As far as their library goes, they have everything from Gone with the Wind to The Hobbit, right? They own The Handmaid's Tale and a ton, 17,000 hours of TV programming, 4,000 film titles. That's all definitely worth something to the highest bidder when it comes to streaming services. Whoever can get a hold of of all of that, I mean, that's that's tremendous. Uh, Personally, I, I really wish HBO would scoop them up. I wish Warner could buy them. I know that would give a lot more power to Warner brothers, but you know, I think those James Bond movies look pretty good on HBO max. I'd like to be able to scroll down and see a little James Bond section. I think that that'd be cool, but, um, see the, the the
1: issue though, like while James Bond is a very successful franchise and, um, in the article says they're the fifth, like highest grossing franchise, uh, you kind of have an, a merchandising issue, though. You know, with with Star Wars and Marvel, you can sell toys, you can sell plushies, you can, you know, there's a lot of merchandising money there. With James Bond, what are you going to sell outside the movies? You're not going to sell James Bond action figures. You hey, know, there's
0: not... been some cool <laughs> video games, but no, you're right, 100%. Uh, like what's what's hot there.
1: So, so while it, it is a hot property, it is strictly a cinematic slash TV or streaming property. You're not going to have merchandising in addition to that. So um but like I said, that this is this is the time to try and be bought when all the all the big players are trying to control the hot properties.
0: Do you think anybody's gonna pay five billion dollars? Are they gonna wait for that price to whittle down?
1: Um well I mean someone like Apple could could buy them. That's that's definitely chump change uh for them. I, I could see Disney would be weird. I, I don't feel it feel it fits their brand. You know, even if they, you know, more, more of their adult stuff goes to Hulu, but it's still, um, not like you like you said. It it would make more sense to go to Netflix or HBO Max.
0: Yeah, or it's we it's it's a weird it's a weird story. It's a little bittersweet, right? MGM has been around since like 1924. Um, they're very storied. Uh, studio they've made, I mean, Ben Hur and The Wizard of Oz and Gone with the Wind, like a, a ton of like classic films. They they help shape cinema for what it is today. I don't think they're dying, right? They're just shifting hands, and that's okay. Um, I hope wherever they end up, um, is aware of that, like and and values that in the way that they should, you know. So so we'll see, I guess, or maybe nobody will buy them. I I who knows?
1: <laughs> right? They've tried. They've been a for sale before, so we'll see.
0: Yeah. In our last story, before we hop into Wonder Woman 1984, Wonder Woman 1984 opens to pandemic-best $16.7 million at the Christmas box office, and the third film is already confirmed. This is a bit of a twist, because earlier this week, we had a story lined up in here where Patty Jenkins and Gal Gadot were saying they may not return for a third film, and they'll have to wait and see. But obviously they've seen, obviously they've waited, the results are in. We're doing a third Wonder Woman, because they made just under 17 million dollars, which is pretty lukewarm normally, but for the coronavirus is pretty exceptional, right? I think, Anna?
1: Yeah, and that's uh, the domestic take. It's actually done 85 million worldwide, so it is making money overseas. I don't know where we'd be without that kind of international box office. Um, But what, what it also shows is that people actually came out to the theater and also watched it at home. So it shows that this is essentially a successful hybrid release um and w- while the hbo numbers are you know they never release those and they never will netflix doesn't release uh numbers either but you know according, according to them it was a successful release but it's it's made way more money than tenet did which was the, really the only other big release of the year um which didn't open on- online as or through streaming as well so it's given all the uh the factors and the pandemic and all that it's actually a pretty surprisingly positive release
0: yeah, I mean, it's worth looking at immediate competition, right? Uh, the same day Disney Pixar's Soul came out, that didn't come out domestically um, in box offices, but that did come out uh, in some foreign markets, including China. In total, Soul has turned out $7.6 uh, $7. million, um, which is... Yeah, pretty low. I mean, un- yeah, under half of what Wonder Woman turned out. So all things considered, that's that's a great showing for Wonder Woman at the box office. I'm glad uh, you know I'm glad for for all all my talk of saying they should offer more movies at home and this is what consumers want this is what a free market is right like hey I movie movie theaters doing well means I can keep going to see movies at the movie theater so there's nothing wrong with that if anything um, Andy how does how, how does this stack up to like You know, Christopher Nolan's claims that like *Tenet* had to be seen in a theater and couldn't go anywhere else, right? Doesn't this uh, kind of shake (laughs) that up? I mean, it's
1: it's pretty contradictory because uh, this showed that again, you could watch it at home and people still came out. And like, I still want to see it on the on the big screen, and I might try and do that uh, sometime this this week, and we can talk about that more in the review. But I think the hybrid release is actually going to. Might push people to just do both. I, I know I I'm excited to like I saw it on right when it came out, but I also want to see it in theaters now.
0: Yeah, and I, I watched it at home as well. In fact, when we talk about the movie proper, we should probably talk about how we watched it towards the end because I I've got some hot takes on that. But, <laughs> yeah. Uh, some other small things before we get too far away from this article and jump into Wonder Woman, which is coming shortly. I swear. Uh, everywhere else at the box office, the other films that came out did not do so great. Right. Uh, News of the yeah. world. The new Tom Hanks feature made uh, 2.4 million. Across the world, uh, Promising Young Woman, starring Carrie Mulligan, which actually we'll be watching next week, so uh, spoiler alert, that made $680,000. So that that's like a hard bomb. I mean, that's that's it's really not great from 1,300 movie theaters. Uh, but it's worth mentioning. One more thing in here. Uh, I know I saw it. I don't know where it is, but it's in here somewhere. Um, this is going to be the last Wonder Woman movie. Wonder Woman 3 is going to be it. According to uh, according to the head of film chief Toby Emmerich from Warner Brothers, said, "Uh, we're excited to be able to continue her story with the real life Wonder Woman Gal and Patty, who will return to conclude the long planned theatrical trilogy." Mm-hmm. So, flag in the sand, Wonder Woman is it. So, maybe they'll expand right, it. Maybe they'll do more. But that's I didn't I didn't notice that before. That's you know,
1: three three seems to be the magic number. When you even when you look at the Marvel universe um you know you have 3 main iron man movies 3 main captain america movies um and then they kind of show up in other films so i'm sure we'll, we'll have that happen but you know it just gets more complicated if you try to do too many of one hero it seems
0: yeah i agree um and this is a good way to modernize it right wonder woman 1 takes place in world war 1 wonder woman 2 1984 wonder woman 3 3- Modern-ish, that's probably the way to do it, right? Um, yeah. Well, the,
1: we can get into the, this later, but also DC kind of, you know, they fumbled the beginning of their cinematic universe, and part of what they did is they got to the end too fast. You know, ba- mm-hmm. Batman v Super- Superman is, is like the third movie in the series, and it's kind of the end of everything. So it's it's difficult to then introduce new characters when you've already kind of ended your series or, you know, kind of arrived at the big movie too soon.
0: Yeah big time but there's some new characters they've introduced in this new film that i'm excited to talk about so without further ado let's jump into the review andy please take it away wonder woman 1984 this world is not yet ready for all that you will do the time will come diana
1: and everything will be different So this is the new sequel, Wonder Woman 1984, to 2017's Wonder Woman featuring Gal Gadot as uh, Diana Prince, returning Chris Pine as uh, Steve Trevor, and newcomers Kristen Wiig and Pedro Pascal. Um, So we find ourselves in 1984, and it's 80s up up to the max. We find Diana working at the Smithsonian in Washington, D.C., uh, where she's just kind of being her thing and still secretly... It's kind of secretly a, a superhero. Um, not everyone knows about her, strangely enough. And we meet uh, Barbara Minerva, which is Kristen Wiggs character, um, who is also working at the Smithsonian. She's a clumsy, kind of a dit- ditzy scientist, uh, anxiety-ridden, unsure, not confident. And uh, she, they find this stone at the beginning that kind of... It's it, basically like a monkey's paw well-wishing kind of thing and she wishes to to be more than she is and but all these kind of wishes turn again it's like monkey's paw so you you have uh consequences to everything you wish for but she turns into kind of a negative superhero and we also meet pedro pascal's uh max lord who in, in the comics is kind of a mind control person, he doesn't have a consistent backstory. In uh, this iteration, he is a fast talking uh, kind of con man trying to sell oil subsidies that are that are worthless to, to people. But um, he gets involved and uh, attains power and influence um, that he probably sh- uh, shouldn't have. The plot's a little bit uh, convoluted, but that's that's kind of our setup. Um, I really <laughs> enjoyed this movie, and I think I'm the only one. Uh, I, did, I I texted Zach and and Matt, uh, our good friends, immediately, and I was like, "Oh my god, this reminded me of The Dark Knight. Like it, it was really intense. I really liked it. Um, it does have a lot of. Issues, but it's also a lot of fun, and it has a fantastic score. And I think actually the score is is probably why I overlooked so much uh, in this movie. But it was a lot of fun, and I I liked it a lot. But uh, Zach, what are your thoughts on 1984?
0: I I can't wait to hear what you liked about this movie. I can't <laughs> wait because it's not bad. That okay, that's o- opening argument. It's really not bad. It is not a bad film. There's a lot in it I like. It's really unique. I, I think in the first Wonder Woman, Patty Jenkins really had to figure out a way to make her character stand apart, and I think they did that through a unique storyline, a unique setting. The World War One stuff was really cool. The trench warfare, it was, it was almost like a period film, but also Wonder Woman. This kind of takes that, but also runs in this direction of like a classic 80s comic book superhero story. And it's different. It's, it's not like a traditional superhero film. It's, it's unique in its own way. And that comes with its own set of challenges that unfortunately I don't think it manages to overcome. It's a little long. I think the pacing is really poor. I think the editing is questionable, but it's got some really strong performances. I I like a lot of the writing. I like the action. I like the adventure. I'm kind of split on it. Like I don't dislike it. I don't dislike this movie. I, I'll, I'll likely recommend it at the end of this, but I cannot wait to hear what Andy Draper <laughs> loved about this movie because I'm lukewarm on everything. You, however, are not. So, where do we start talking about this? Um, Man, well, there's so many places to start. So,
1: let's start with the plot. The plot is a little bit convoluted. You got a lot going on. You have... It- yeah um,
0: and it, it's difficult to talk about without spoilers, yeah, you, that, you that's have, a big part of this. Uh, so yeah,
1: you have Kristen Wiig, as uh, who will become cheetah, who is, you know, another a super villain, uh, well known. And then you also have Max Lore. So you have two villains, and it it's kind of a lie. I kind of felt that maybe there was too many, and they didn't really team up in in the way that i I thought they they would. and that's kind of hinted at uh, in the trailer. And like I said, our our main plot deals with kind of this monkey paw paw uh, wishes that 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 come true, but with uh, with a price. And really, the plot gets a little bit too big for its own good. Like it's a global. <laughs> plot like like people's desires affect the world like there's nuclear missiles and the president and like the king of egypt and all all these things and there's some globe trotting and it's the kind of thing i was saying this before the show it's the kind of thing that you read in comic books all the time like it's totally a comic book plot but that doesn't necessarily mean it transfers well to film
0: yeah, when I when I after I watched this, I hopped on Twitter to, to drop my hot takes, and and I think I I still feel the same way as I did immediately after I, the credits rolled. Like it, in a lot of ways, this is like one of the best comic book movies I've ever seen because it feels like a comic book. It feels like an issue you would pick up or like a few issues like bound together, and you'd read them all start to finish, and it's like fun and it's interesting and it goes crazy places. But then you get to the end. And it feels like okay that this this kind of reached a satisfying conclusion for this immediate plot, and you're done, and you put it down, and you go on to the next thing. And in that way, this movie totally works. Like the plot is tight. I feel like it, it it gets from A to B to C pretty well. The characters are fun, but as like a superhero film, as as a part of a larger universe, it's got it's got a lot of like plot holes, and it's got a lot of things that don't make sense, and like it it takes some logical leaps for our characters to get to places. That don't work. And, and in a larger universe, it doesn't work great, which is why the setting of 1984 is a good thing for Patty Jenkins, because in a lot of ways, you don't have to worry about Superman, right? Aquaman's not going to show up at any point to, like, help out Wonder Woman. She's on her own. This is a story about Diana doing her thing. And it's great to, you know, build a world where we're in 1984 and everybody's wearing goofy clothes and Chris Pine wears uh, a goofy pair of uh, Nikes from Back to the Future. Like, that's all fun and good. But at the same time, um, you're gonna have to set those kind of opinions to the side when you walk into this movie, and don't don't think to yourself like, "Well, how does this work?" and "How did they how did they manage to pull that off?" And well, wait, that wouldn't work logically. Like, just just if you can set that, if you can not worry about it i think you'll enjoy it
1: yeah you definitely got to kind of suspend not suspend belief but just like suspend a little bit of logic uh for a while and, and again we're used to our superhero movies being very grounded being very realistic you know the the nolan trilogy a lot of marvel stuff and and you know if you look at like things like uh winter soldier or or uh civil war the those are those are films that are grounded and have real kind of meaty themes as well about, about power and balance and things like this. And I think wonder woman also 1984 does have some strong themes too, but they don't really, they're overshadowed by a lot of clumsy storytelling.
0: Yeah. Um, let's talk about the kind of pacing a little bit. Cause like I said, I, I think it's difficult to talk about without getting into spoilers, which is not what we do here. Um, so uh, yeah. the movie has a pretty strong start, I think. And then, like, dude, like, 20 minutes into the first act, it really slows down, and it drags. It's a long film. It's two and a half hours, two hours, 35 minutes. And I think the yeah. thir- I think it's got a satisfying conclusion. I think it has a satisfying beginning, and I think it has a satisfying, like, slice of middle. But in between those is, like, a, a vast wasteland of slow filmmaking like i and i'm a little spoiled by wonder woman 1 right like there's like a bunch of action scenes in that movie and they progressively get more interesting so by the time you get to like you know the climax of the film okay that movie ended a little cgi heavy for sure but it, it definitely feels like wonder woman is a, a, a force to be reckoned with in this film due to our monkey's paw wishing setup kind of thing that's not really a thing and that results in diana not having as many like fun action scenes and that's a bummer because like that stuff's real good
1: right it's easy in the first film to have action scenes because they're in the middle of, of a war so you can kind of have fights break out whenever um yeah the, the pacing is is i would i would agree it's a big problem the, the movie's just too long like it and i'm always skeptical about things that are two and a half three three hours long this is three hours but really uh, most movies are good at 140 to 150 minutes like rarely can people do a full two hours well much less much longer but i feel like these big blockbusters the studios feel like they got to give people as much these really long films and like you don't really have to and again the pacing in the first half so you see her there's a brief you know she's got an introductory scene where she she you know there's a small fight that we've seen in the trailer that happens right at the beginning then she's not wonder woman for like another hour yeah. like it, like all of act 1 is a lot of character setup which i i didn't mind but looking back it's it's a long time to not see your hero be the hero and th- that was one of the big complaints about uh The Dark Knight Rises is you don't see Batman for the first 45 50 minutes
0: right and by the time we do get there it's a little bit tamped down because we've been waiting so long but it's not too tough to watch because of our characters which are a ton of fun, right? Uh, we've got Gal Gadot returning as Diana. We've got, Steve, we've got Chris Pine returning as Steve Trevor in a way that is a bit baffling, but you'll just have to watch the movie to get yeah, into just it. We go can't with really it. talk about <laughs> it here. Yeah. Uh, we've, we've got Kristen Wiig appearing as Barbara Minerva, who is Diana's newfound friend at the museum. Uh, and we've got Pedro Pascal as Max Lord, all of which are super good. Like I think all four of them are a ton of fun. Chris Pine has the the best best laughs in this movie. I think his his character yeah. definitely has the most skepticism as this fish out of water like World War One pilot who's now in 1984. Uh, Max Lord played by Pedro Pascal is tremendous and arguably underrated. Uh, he's super good in this movie. Is this sleazy TV executive who's just trying to cut to the front of the line and and run the world. Um, Everybody, they're all super good. Like I think they, they had a lot of fun making this movie.
1: Right. It it just uh they're for they're good actors, good performances, but kind of the the stories together don't don't really work. Uh, I, I thought Kristen Wiig is good as as uh Cheetah, but she's she starts the movie doing the Kristen Wiig thing, doing like the the her mannerisms and kind of quirks that she's known for in all of her like comedy films. Uh, that kind of didn't work for me. But once she stops being that and kind of Turn, turns more towards the villain uh she's a lot more more interesting uh, but again the it it seems like they, they didn't know how to make our villains really work together or really be the big kind of uh big bads that they're supposed to be
0: yeah and, and and they do they do end up what's the there's a synergy there that's the term i'm looking for like towards the end of the film that i actually think is smart Um, for superhero movies like you don't often get a lot of superhero movies where the villain there's multiple villains that have their own set of circumstances and goals that that are willing to work together to accomplish their goals individually like well the enemy of my enemy is is my friend right so we better team up so we can go against the superhero that doesn't happen a whole lot in superhero movies typically the superheroes team up against the supervillain. this kind of goes a bit of the opposite way and i think that's really smart but you don't get a whole lot of, like, full-on Chris, Kristen Wig doing, like, the Cheetah thing. Uh, and you don't actually get a whole lot of, like, evil Pedro Pascal either. And that's part of the charm, in, in a way. I think it's part of what this movie does well. Um, it subverts that expectation of, like, a standard just big supervillain CGI fight at the end. And I think that's really smart. Yeah. Um, but it also again limits how much like action you're getting in the movie. And for two and a half hours, like you'd think there'd be more. It's just a little. It's a little light on that stuff. It's heavy on exposition. It's light on actual fighting.
1: Yeah. It and definitely by the time it shows up, there there's a big the the kind of what you've seen in the trailer, the big kind of road roadside uh, confrontation. Um, by the time it shows shows up, it, it almost feels like it's inserted just well. We haven't had action for a while, so it's like it doesn't really serve like the story's purpose uh, very much.
0: So, let's talk about the look a little bit cuz it the, I mentioned the set dressing earlier, right? We're, we're in 1984 and the whole movie knows it. Everything looks like it fell out of the 80s. Like almost to a fault. The 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 fun like opening sequence where she's fighting in the mall that's been seen in the trailer, uh, that stuff works really well, but that like Starcourt Mall kind of thing they're doing from the 80s, that's the whole movie. Like it never lets up. It it looks like they're in the 80s all the time. For better or worse, uh, and, and I don't mind that too much as far as the setting goes, but what I did mind was a lot of the visual presentation when it came to, like, effects. Some of this movie just looks kind of hokey, especially this <laughs> this scene um, where she's out in, like, the Middle East, like, fighting on, like, a road with a bunch of trucks. You, you may see it in the trailer as we're playing uh, here when we're playing this in Facebook Live, but... Um, the lighting in that does not like it doesn't look like they're there. It looks like they filmed it in like a soundstage and like green screened it all behind them, and that happens a lot. And I don't remember that being a thing in the first movie, but like it it, it doesn't didn't have that, work that a whole Chris Nolan
1: touch of yeah No, like it, doesn't, it doesn't. It not feel very grand.
0: Yeah, it feels it feels a little cheap almost, and that's really a shame. Uh Did you notice that at all? Is that just me?
1: I Looking back, uh I, I mean, I've seen a lot of comments about uh, some of the effects, how they like. They look really floaty, or she looks like, you know, you can tell she's suspended from wires. And, the uh, yeah, it's, it's again, it doesn't have the touch. When you think about the car chase scene in, in Tenet, like, it definitely doesn't look like that. These vehicles don't look authentic. They don't look like, like you said, it doesn't look like you're there.
0: Mm-hmm. You can't suspend your disbelief. But we do need to talk about the score, because you're a big fan. <laughs>
1: yeah fantastic score by Hans Zimmer who of course did uh uh is no stranger to the comic book genre he did uh the the Dark Knight trilogy and he did the first film in the DCEU which was Man of Steel which also has a phenomenal soundtrack and that's one of the things that I feel actually Marvel has not done particularly well is the music of their films like you if if I asked you what is Thor's theme what is Iron Man's theme or Captain America's theme like no one knows but (laughs) <laughs> like the music has not been particularly memorable in those films but it is here and i think that's one thing that goes with is there are individual scenes that work really well and when the music is swelling behind it it
0: it really comes together 100 the only the only marvel theme anybody can hum is the avengers theme and that's only because we've had like seven films it's been featured in so you've heard it enough that you know yeah. but otherwise out of like 22 marvel movies nobody knows any of the music like none of it sticks <laughs> around um, even Guardians of the Galaxy, their stuff is licensed. This one definitely goes out of its way to kind of build something better, which I really liked. Uh, it sounds a lot more unique, and it's a lot sharper too. There's, there's a bit of a, a violence in the strings towards some of these action scenes that I think really comes out. Um, and the cheetah stuff is really menacing. Hans Zimmer really went out of his way to, to, to build something that sounds um, very appropriate for our character. The only thing I noticed about the score. Um, that bothered me is that... And I don't know if you caught that. I'm sure you didn't. So, and are you familiar with the 2007 film Sunshine? It's a Danny yes. Boyle movie. Yeah. yeah,
1: I know what you're talking about. I totally caught that.
0: What? Okay, so there's a scene in this movie where rather than make individual music, like make an actual track, Hans Zimmer just opted to license the track from Sunshine, which is like the main music from that movie and the music in sunshine is like arguably better than the film. It's been used in trailers before it's been yeah. used in commercials. Um, weird choice in, in like a climactic moment for this movie to use music from another movie, but like it's in the credits. They, they paid for it. They didn't lift it. Like they specifically like licensed it to use. So no, well, no problems there. But I was just curious if you, if you ran into that, like I did, cause it really like it, it, yeah. it, it had me, it made me sit up on my chair. Like, why are they using mu- music from another movie?
1: I mean it. It it fits the scene, and I think that's why. Like, um, I mean, I noticed it right away. I was like, "That's uh, yeah. John Mur- John Murphy's Adagio and D from it's, Sunshine." It's iconic, Instantly, yeah. uh, it fits the scene, and like as as a musician, especially, uh, like he he could write something like that, but that it just fits the scene so well. Like he's like just just use this. Like I'm just he would just write something that was very similar. So you might as well use the the real the real thing. Yeah, and I think I'm, it, and I th- and, and it, if you've seen Man of Steel, there is, a kind of learning to fly sequence in that film as well, which he has written some really good original music. But again, he's done that. It would be what it would be like what we get by using that, right?
0: Piece. Right. It would just be a knockoff. Yeah, I I know when they typically edit films, like for for music, they'll they'll cut the movie and the cut the scenes and like the rough cut to soundtracks from other films. Usually they'll mm-hmm. say, okay, well this is an action sequence. We want something that sounds action-y. They'll grab an action track from some other movie. Something something popular, just something else. And then, and then the editing room, they'll cut it to that. And then when it actually goes to the composer to compose the track, he has a rough idea of the beat, of like what it's gonna look like, kinda how the how the how the scene moves along, and they can compose effectively to that. For all we know, yeah, maybe in that scene they he was just like, "I'm not gonna come up with anything better than that. Just just use that. Yeah, like just license it and we'll roll with it." It's a it's a re-recording. I checked. <laughs> it's it's a it's an orchestral re-recording. So they re-recorded the music. It's a new it's a new mix. Mm-hmm. But um, otherwise, the soundtrack is great. It was just the one the one odd thing that stood out to me. Like, well, hold on, that's that's weird, but. I like the soundtrack.
1: Um, well, and it, it grabbed me from the beginning. So the film opens with uh, kind of on Themiscara and there's a big kind of Olympic level event going on and the music's really pumping from the beginning and I was all about it. I, I was with it uh, from the get-go, which reminds me that this there's kind of two introductions to this movie, which I think is kind of an issue. There's this Olympic thing that happens on the island and then there's the mall scene.
0: Uh-huh. And And <laughs> they don't exactly clash, but... You know, in the Olympic one, right at the beginning, uh, Diana is is intimated a message uh, by by Robin Wright and her brief brief appearance in this film that she shouldn't cheat. You, you can't you can't take shortcuts in life. You have to you have to do things the hard way because that's how you learn and that's how you grow, right? And that like kind of comes through later in the movie. It's a little obscure as a theme, and it makes me wonder if they just left that scene in that opening th- scene on Themyscira because like it was good for people who didn't see the first movie. And like, it would be a good reminder of where she came from. Kind of. Cause otherwise it does not need to be in there. And, and it's a little perplexing. It's well directed. It's well, well cut. It's a good scene, but it, it feels like, it feels like there's other scenes in this movie they shot and didn't use. Cause like based on some of the kind of plot points that are confusing, it feels like, I don't know. I wonder if something got lost in the editing. That's what I'm getting at.
1: Well, I, you know, the, the opening Olympics theme is also, scene is also an excuse to kind of see uh, Connie Nielsen and Robin Wright uh, in their roles, uh, which they were in, in the first one as well. We, we only kind of see them at the beginning. Uh, so that kind of felt the reason as they were there. Um, but you're right, the, the theme, and I did like some of the themes, but th- that one kind of is introduced and then doesn't really come back up. Uh, what I wanted to say, though, is that while this is nostalgic for the eighties, it also doesn't leave out like the negative things about the eighties, like the excess, the, you know, the cold war, you know, fear of nuclear annihilation. Those, those things are, are brought up as well. And like, you know, this remind me of wall street, the greed is good kind of uh, attitude uh, of that era. And that is definitely part of one of the themes in the, in the, in the film is greed and excess and like the cost of that
0: yeah and, and I I really got stuck on the 80s stuff because like I said the, the film is draped in 80s like every scene 80s stuff 80s lights 80s accessories 80s paints 80s patterns 80s clothes like it's all 80s and I appreciate like the consistency of that but it doesn't feel like it serves a whole lot of like the greater purpose of the movie like there's there's no reason fundamentally it feels like this movie had to be set in the 80s like why couldn't this have been a 2020? Film And I, I don't have a good answer. Like, it seems like it kind of could have. Um, so it's odd. Well, well that,
1: that kind of is the, the DC problem of, like, well, you introduce Wonder Woman kind of at the end of that film cycle. So, like, you know.
0: Right. Like, Wonder Woman, at least the first one, like, I know it was set in World War One, but, like, it was a really captivating setting that created an interesting plot. And there's a lack of technology there. And there's a lack of understanding of the world. So when Diana cuts kind of gets to the mainland... Um, she's kind of discovering the world for herself and everything's pretty simple and easy to understand. Now we're in the 80s and, like, there's no real reason for it to be 80s other than, like, <laughs> 80s is trending, right? People, yeah. pe- consumers like the 80s. If we set our movie during the 80s, people will like it. So, like, I don't know. Maybe I'm overthinking it. Uh, it's just uh, unique. Uh, but but it, it's a lot of those unique things in this feature that made me like it, ultimately. And I, I don't I don't think it deserves... A lot of the like the scathing reviews it's gotten. I I don't think it's that bad, but I also don't think it's like great. It's kind of right in the middle for me, and um, <laughs> I don't know. I guess I guess that leaves it open to interpretation, right?
1: Right. Um, let's talk about our viewing experiences. We wanted to get into this.
0: Yes. Uh, so I watched this at home. Uh, it was the day after Christmas. I was, I was at home with my parents and my sister and Christine. We all hung out in our living room uh, in Houston and watched this. We had a big bowl of popcorn. My dad made, we hung out and like made comments and like laughed at stuff together. <laughs> like we all had, had drinks. Like it was great, dude. It was so much better. Cause like, we did the math after the movie, like go, you know, there were what five of us. So that would have been probably 50 bucks to go see this in a theater, like not including any concessions, which we were eating and drinking the whole time. Like, it would have been such a hassle to go to a movie theater to watch this. It was so much cooler to hang out like day after a holiday and watch this with my family. So much better, like a memorable experience, something like I really enjoyed. Um, but I haven't heard that online. I know a lot. Obviously, a lot of people went and saw it. It made it made sixteen million dollars here in the United States. How did you watch it?
1: Uh, so I also watched it at home. Um, I, I started it like as soon as I I could, I was a little bit after 11 AM our time. Um, you know, and, and I enjoyed, you know, it's a long movie, so I, I enjoyed being able to kind of pause it and and get a snack or use the restroom, that, that, that sort of thing. Um, and I do that a lot with anytime I'm watching something like I, I'll pause at like the end of a scene to like do, do whatever, check my phone. And, and so it's nice um, it, but but it definitely made me it made me yearn for the theatrical experience because I was like some of this would look so amazing on on the big screen even though the the story's got its problems and the the film has some issues seeing some of the scenes on, on the big screen would b- work really well and especially like some of the uh, you know some of the CGI that, that people complain about or that doesn't look really great always looks better on on the big screen just because it, it gets blurred a little bit it gets uh you know it hides the seams better
0: yeah and I I I. Stress thinking that like maybe that's a big part of the reason Patty Jenkins wanted this in theaters so bad. Um, Patty Jenkins and Gal Gadot both got paid extra money when Warner Brothers announced this was coming to HBO Max. Gal Gadot got paid an extra $10 million. Uh, Patty Jenkins is an undetermined amount. It wasn't announced. Um, Patty Jenkins said, "If I mean, fundamentally, uh, before the numbers came out for how it did in theaters, Patty Jenkins straight up said, if the third one's not in theaters, I'm probably not doing it. Gal Gadot kind of said the same thing. If, if the third one's not going to movie theaters, I'm probably not going to be in that movie. Um, there's been this huge push for Wonder Woman 1984 to be in theaters. Cinemark was running banner ads for months saying, <laughs> hey, watching movies is fun, but watching them in theaters is better. And they marketed that with Wonder Woman 1984, this big mall scene. They did this big swoop. The music comes in. We watched that ad a half dozen times because we've been you know risking our lives to go to the at movies. At least, at least. To do this goofy podcast. Yeah, like theaters want it in theaters. The director wants it in theaters. The actress wants it. Like, everybody wants this movie to be in theaters. And what stresses me is not that this two-and-a-half-hour epic has to be seen in theaters. It's that it hides the seams better when it's in theaters. Because you paid to be there. You're suspended in the moment. And it's big on the screen. And you can't look at everything all at once. And it hides it better. And it's like, that's really not good. That's not a good reason to want your movie to be in theaters. Like, your movie should be pretty standalone on its own, and and I, I hope that's not what it is. I don't want to attribute any malice to that, but, like, dude, this movie was supposed to come out in March, and there's some prevalent problems I think could have been fixed in post. Between March and now, there's some things they could have changed about this movie that would have made it better, but they opted not to. This was, like, the final cut. This is, like, approved. This is what they wanted. So... I guess it's a wash, man. But like personally, I I much rather would have watched this movie at home, and I'm glad I did.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, and yeah. that's that's the beauty of hybrid release, you know. It, it and it shows the success of it. People can watch it at home if they want. People will still go out to to theaters because you know you may not have a, a great sound system at, at home or, or a, a great environment to uh to watch and may really want uh, the theatrical experience.
0: Yeah. And I mean it. Like I, I think there's more that could have changed between now and then. I guess they just decided not to. But for what it's worth, um, I'm glad we have the opportunity to talk about it. And I'm glad I got to watch it at home. Like honestly, it, it was, it was, it was nice. I, I, no regrets. So yeah. Is there a chance you go see this in theaters after you've already seen it once?
1: Definitely. I definitely want to. You know, I'll, and I'll, I'll find like an AM showing that's like six bucks and, uh, and see it there.
0: <sighs> Two and a half hours, man. What a commitment. Well, shoot, maybe I'll go with you. I might, might, might enjoy it more the second time around. But uh, any other thoughts or recommendations? I think I'm ready. Andy, would you recommend Wonder Woman 1984?
1: I would. I would. I really enjoyed it. it it's, it's a very fun movie. There's lots of action. Um, if you're a big comic book fan like I am, I think you'll enjoy it probably a little bit more. It does have some issues. It's way too long. Uh, the, the pacing is a little kind of off, especially the first act. You don't see or be... be Wonder Woman for almost an, an hour at the, the first part of the, the film. Um, there's some narrative issues which you just kind of have to go with or, or you're not going to enjoy the, the film. Um, and the uh, reactions have been pretty split. But overall, I, rec- I recommend it, especially if you can watch it at home if you're already subscribed to HBO Max. Uh, it's definitely worth your time.
0: Uh, I think I'd recommend it as well. I think it suffers from some problems. I think if you're going to see this movie and you're not sure what you're getting into, first step, suspend disbelief. Do not address a whole lot of logic to some of the things that happen because there are scenes when a character will offhandedly Perform an action that does not make any sense. Obviously, this is a superhero movie. It doesn't make sense. The characters can punch through walls and stuff. But, like, you'll you'll know what I mean when I'm watching it, when you're watching it. The performances are great. Pedro Pascal is a ton of fun. Chris Pine is is very funny in this movie. I enjoyed Kristen Wiig. I enjoyed Gal Gadot. I like the soundtrack. Ultimately, if you can look at this more, of a, more as a comic book feature and less as a, like, extended universe superhero film that's supposed to move the needle on, on what's going on in DCEU. Uh, I think you'll like it, but if you're looking at this as like a part of a larger picture, you might come out frustrated. So take it easy, right? Keep 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 it sleazy and enjoy *One Room in 1984* responsibly, That's I guess. Right. Uh, and with that, we should move on to our next segment. Uh, Andy, you want to introduce us? It's time for the death of cinema.
1: Today, we're going to be talking about this article that came out in the New York Times uh, just yesterday called Managing Movie Superheroes is About to Get a Lot More Complicated. And this was an interview with uh, the head of DC Films, uh, Walter Hamada, who is making some bold, bold decisions uh, for DC, I think based partially off the success of, of Wonder Woman 1984. The big news is that they are about to ramp up production on films and TV shows starting in 2022. In 2022, they want to release four films per year, so four big films, and then also have tie-in TV shows on HBO Max, uh, just like Disney is doing with their Star Wars and Marvel shows. They're they're having complimentary, complimentary shows um, on their streaming service. Um, so they're really ramping things up. And the other big thing is because DC has kind of fumbled their, their cinematic universe early on, they basically have two choices. They either have to start over, which is a huge commitment. And you could also mess that up again. Um, but what they're going to do is introduce uh, the mul- the concept of the multiverse, which is very common in, in comics. And this is just the the idea that there are parallel worlds like earth one earth two and so on where you have different where you have the same superheroes but in different settings and so what what this means is uh, specifically like batman uh the ben affleck batman is earth one but the robert pattinson batman is going to be earth two so that that, this way you can have multiple versions of the same character all existing in at the same time this is a little confusing even from even in comics uh so it's going to be it's a bold decision, but I think it's also one that kind of has to happen. They don't really have any other choice at this point.
0: I think it's very confusing. Um, I, <laughs> exactly. I think they are very inspired by like some of the other comic book properties and what they've done. Um, I like, look okay, this is something DC is not particularly good at, but Marvel is particularly skilled at. Marvel is great at having characters cross over and interact with each other across films, right? Whether that be in, in ex, like, extended credit scene at the end of your movie, um, or in the middle of a movie when a character pops up, or in a fight scene when another superhero swings in and they, like, combine powers to do cool stuff. That happens a lot in those Marvel movies, and they're very good at it. It helps build that universe out. DC does not do a whole lot of that. It's kind of the opposite, right? They, they like their kind of segmented-off stuff. And when they tried to rush and do that after Man of Steel, they made Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice, which had three superheroes in it, which was a mess. And then they made Justice League, which, you know, we, we all know that. That worked out. So this idea that they're just going to keep doing that, I think is good. It's it's a good thing that you want your characters to cross over. You want to have synergy across properties. That's good stuff. What's confusing is you're going to put out a movie. Let's just speculate, right? Let's say 2022 or whatever, when the Batman's supposed to come out. You're telling me you could put out a Batman movie starring Robert Pattinson and then put out a Batman movie starring Ben Affleck from the same studio... And people are just supposed to go with it. And hope but under- people
1: don't get don't get confused, right?
0: Yeah. Hope people don't get confused. And hope it's not too much. This this is also compounding on the fact that Ben Affleck, as far as we know, is not doing any more Batman movies, right? He came back into Justice League reshoots and like that's it. And Henry Cavill is likely out on Superman. I don't think there's any real word either way, but like you you're you're battling Actor and actress fatigue, right? How many of these movies do they want to be in? How many are they contracted for? You're battling audience fatigue, trying to keep up with who's where and what properties are what. You've got multiverse you're building out. Um, I think it's 100% confusing. I, th- I can't wait to see how they do it. I think they, they should be using the term
1: standalone a lot more. And I point to Todd Phillips' Joker, uh, which is the standalone it's not connected to any other of the DC universe so far that, uh, that we know yeah. That, yeah. that we know but but yeah. it could ver- like that movie worked on its own and you didn't ha- and you didn't have to try to tie it into everything else you didn't have to say oh this is an else world story or this is an earth 2 or earth three or negative multiverse or, or whatever you, you could just say hey this stands on its own and I don't I don't see why they couldn't just do that even with this new new Batman you could say this is a new Batman new trilogy it stands on its own it's separate that might be easier than introducing the concept of the multiverse
0: I think I think they've they've really like stacked the deck uh, not in their favor here um, let's remember the movie that's probably going to be introducing this concept is going to be the flash right the new Ezra Miller picture that's on its way that will feature Ben Affleck as Batman and Michael Keaton as Batman which will be tying the Tim Burton Batman films from the 80s to more relevant Batman, right? But not current Batman, because that's going to be the Batman starring Robert Pattinson coming out in 2021 or 2022. So that's already bridging some gaps, which is good. It's, it's indica- it's, it's been indicated that like, that's not going to be the only kind of jump that the flash is likely going to be tying a lot of these movies together and this universe together. The flash was an otherwise defunct project until Ezra Miller, the actor in the film decided he was going to rework the screenplay So the actor for the movie basically wrote most of the Flash, as we understand it. Maybe not. Maybe they had a lot more going on, but so now you've got your movie that's introducing this concept and tying all these universes together, written by an actor who stands to gain the most from being in the movie and not actually building like a universe. Like maybe it's a stretch. I'm just saying, like, this is not some brilliant by committee plan. It's kind of the opposite. It's a bit more slapdash because Batman v Superman didn't work. And Justice League didn't work. And now they don't really know where they're going. I appreciate the vision, but, like, the way we got here is not, like, Marvel, right? They didn't plan this over 22 films. Well, also, The
1: Flash has, um, I mean, his solo film was introduced or was announced several years ago. And by the time it comes out, yeah, it's going to be nearly 10 years of the DCEU. And basically, it's a big mess, and they're trying to clean it up and make it make sense at this point.
0: Yeah. So... I mean, I, I, like I said, I like what they're doing. I, I think it can work, but, like, it's going to be hard. It's going to be hard to get people on board with this stuff because as far as I think general audiences know, you got your Marvel superhero movies and then – and I mean real general audiences, right? I mean people who, like, probably don't even listen to this show, people who do not know any better. <laughs> These are the people who are paying to go see, like, Fast and the Furious 9 or whatever. Um those people probably don't even know, like, DC movies are really linked together. They, I mean, they're not even... I, I, I can't even imagine they'd be sure Wonder Woman 1984 and Justice League are, like, the same kind of...
1: Universe. universe. I mean, yeah. it's
0: such a stretch just in the way they've released these movies so far. So The Flash <laughs> is is got a lot going on, man. That movie's gonna have to be like a tent pole for well, this what, to work.
1: What's funny is that comic book heroes are, are cool, but like reading comics is still not, not super cool and a lot of people don't do it. And so yeah. yeah, it it's just it's not familiar lore. It's not it's not like I mean Batman's the one you know kind of story everyone knows uh superman as well but when you start introducing a lot of new characters it's really difficult and at the same but at the same time you know their properties like aquaman have been the most uh, it's still the most successful dc film is aquaman who would have ever thought that that was going to be the one to do it you know we all thought it would be their big properties but they're just being handled so poorly but this is their chance to kind of turn it around and this is the approach they're going to be taking
0: uh, we only got a couple minutes left to talk about this because I want to jump into Soul, but I'm curious because we were talking a little bit before the movie. Andy, is DC moving away from Zack Snyder, or are they embracing him as a filmmaker? I think they're I think
1: they're moving away from him. I, I you know w- why he was given an extra seventy million dollars to kind of remake Justice League is beyond me. I, I think it's one of these things with the minority voices uh, that were championing his his vision of the film. Uh, I guess maybe got f- sounded really loud on the internet and, but I, I don't think that making a mediocre film that was too long, even longer is going to save that movie or get people excited, you know, cause what, what do films need to do? They need to at this day and age, either need to sell tickets or get subscribers. And I don't, this, that's not going to do either.
0: Yeah. I, I want to agree at the same time. Like I don't think a studio hands out $70 million to a director, like without that being some kind of something, right? That's gotta be more than just, Hey, go ahead and make this movie for exclusively for streaming services. I, in a lot of ways, I look at what they're doing for Zack Snyder as a olive branch, his peace offering, right? Because Zack Snyder's vision was supposed to be some kind of penultimate something in justice league, right? This is where it was all supposed to come together. And after he took off from the project for family reasons, um, which are wholeheartedly sensible, Um, They invited, in a lot of ways, hear me out, uh, his his comic book filmmaking director (laughs) rival, Joss Whedon, (laughs) the guy who made Avengers in to fix what Zack Snyder had not been able to accomplish. And Joss Whedon did, I think, a decent job with what he had, but to hear DC fans tell it, he ruined the whole film. So now they've come back and said, Zack, 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 we got it all wrong. You're the guy. You've always been the guy. We want you to come in and fix Justice League. We'll bankroll it, all right? You do it. And then we want to keep your universe prevalent. We're not getting rid of it. We're not trashing it. It'll just be a different Earth, and we can still make movies in that world. Like, that's what that feels like to me. I think they've had more success with independent features. Wonder Woman, Aquaman. Aquaman's a surprise, but Aquaman. Joker. Shazam. Man of Steel. Yeah, Shazam, right? than they have with like the, the Zack Snyder connected universe but i think they're too scared to let it go i think they're too scared to let it die <laughs> and they're like you know what it tests well enough with audiences well, let's let's greenlight another one and and letting him come back and do justice league is their like peace offering to do it like i i think that's what's going on
1: well see here's the thing is at the end of the day it's all about the number it's all about the money uh, man of steel was underwhelming under underperformed it, it made decent money but it didn't make it's not the 800 i mean it didn't do as well as wonder woman yep. uh or so any of the other same thing with batman v superman thing thing with justice league so that's three big films with their hottest best properties that he did not capitalize on so i yeah. can't imagine them asking him to do more work so he's, he's not getting it done we'll see
0: at this we'll point see, at man. this point at this point
1: Patty Jenkins and James Wan, who directed uh, Aquaman, are the hot directors for DC. Right.
0: Yeah. Uh, and David Gordon Green, who did um, Shazam, and and whoever it was that did Birds of Prey, which also wasn't bad, um, but we don't really talk about that movie. Um, I don't know. We'll see. I, I think they've had more success with their independent directors running in independent directions than they have Zack Snyder trying to bring it all together, but who yeah. knows? Um, this agree. Flash movie, I think, is going to be a big a big turning point for the franchise, hopefully. Um, Or it'll be a stumble, but we're just going to have to wait and find out. And with that, we need to move on to our final review. Uh, This is taking longer than I thought it would, but I'm passionate about this stuff. Comic book movies are what we do now. So, without further ado, this is our review of Disney Pixar's Soul. Ah! What the... What... What
1: is this place? What's your name, honey? Uh, I'm Joe.
0: I teach middle school band.
1: Cut go for it!
0: The Soul is the story of Joe Gardner, a 30-something New York jazz pianist who's living in the city and teaching on his off gigs because he can't afford enough to make rent just by playing music. Joe feels like he's born to play jazz. It is the thing he's been put on this earth to do. And right when he lands a gig, right when he finds one of the things is finally going to get him out there, is finally going to break him into something new with Dorothy Williams Band, uh, he is unceremoniously uh, I don't want to say murdered he falls into a manhole on a New York City street and wakes up in the afterlife as a soul. And he has to try to figure out how to get back to his body to make the gig and uh, hopefully turn things around before it all ends for Joe Gardner. Uh, The movie features Jamie Foxx as Joe, our protagonist. We have Tina Fey as 22, a young uh, soul who is (laughs) following around Joe on on his adventures, kind of belligerent. Uh, We've got a host of other uh, fun actors and actresses as well. But otherwise, this is a unique feature. It's directed by Pete Docter from Pixar, who has formerly directed Monsters, Inc. Up and Inside Out. So this one's a bit more deep than their kind of typical stuff. This movie handles death, the afterlife, the abstract. And I'm very excited to talk about it. Andy, what did you think of soul? So I really enjoyed
1: it. And as a musician and as someone who as um, a musician, top, top, top middle school band, it was, it, it very, uh, I identified with it, uh, very well. Um, it looks incredible. again, Pixar is always trying to push their animation and their concept. and you you have a good mix of things in uh, the both the afterlife slash kind of before time uh, that's animated in incredible ways. And you know you have these characters that are like, Uh, one-dimensional or like lines but they they still talk and so you have that kind of creativity and then you have the actual city which is New York City recreated in a lot of scenes and that looks incredible as well and I was looking I look at things like uh, there's a trombone in the opening scene that thing is animated so well like there are nicks and dents on the slide like and usually stuff like that is overlooked and done really inaccurately um, but they really you know, took the time to make sure everything looked uh, right, So the film looks fantastic. Um, it does kind of have, I, I think a message that's a little bit complicated for younger audiences because while most movies would tell you to, uh, you know, do whatever to chase your dreams, this movie isn't about that. It's, it's about living your life in spite of that and that there's more to life than just, uh, just your dreams uh, that there's so much, so much more and you can be caught up and lose sight of what's an important.
0: Yeah. Um, where do we start with this film? You, you covered all the bases, got performances, <laughs> animation, theme, all of that's important. I want to start with plot, I guess is probably the best place to go because I really want to talk about the animation, um, especially talking about the horns. I'm excited. I'm excited to bring that up. So our plot in this movie is very similar to like Inside Out, right? Um, yeah. It's abstract. It's mostly inside of a character's head or through some kind of existential crisis, almost similar to Coco, right? That also covered the afterlife, another Pixar feature. Um, but this idea of, of our main character being otherwise a well-meaning guy, um, who just basically has a bad day. He accidentally dies, doesn't mean to knows he's not supposed to be there. And is like, well, I got to fix this and get out of here. Certainly abstract, right? Uh, finding him being so excited about this gig and turning down his opportunities to teach as a mentor at this middle school, you know, he, he's certainly living for himself, right? Living for himself first and others second. And it turns out Joe Gardner's a great mentor. Right. He, he's tasked with teaching 22, played by Tina Fey, about how, what living is like to try to encourage her to become a living person on Earth instead of just being an abstract soul who's never lived. That's that's kind of how this works. There's this life cycle of, of pre-living and post-living. Joe is in the post-living. Tina's in the pre-living. Uh, so the two of them kind of work together. Um, Joe's struggles to get back to the real world are a lot of fun. there there, there's a lot of humor in this movie a lot of like one one take cuts and 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 one-off jokes that are a good time um and ultimately a little convoluted i think for audience for for like younger audiences somebody once said pixar films are uh movies made for adults that kids can enjoy this one like a hundred percent is that in like bold this is like an adult film like i think kids will be okay with it but like, unlike Inside Out, where I think kids would enjoy a lot of it, this one's like much more like abstract and much more thoughtful. And I think by the end of the movie, um, kind of the catharsis our character finds is not going to be particularly pleasant to like an eight-year-old. Like they're you yeah know, they, they they live life every day. Like this this is this is for adults. Like this is for people who you know are jaded and cynical and maybe struggle with the way the world works, which is why it's perfect it's set in New York. <laughs>
1: Yeah, well, and and that's our main character is an adult is as well, so it's it's more it's a more adult uh, story, and it, like I said, it's in a, it doesn't give you a nice and tidy kind of message. It's, it's very kind of uh, complicated and very different how you would, than what you would see uh, in a lot of films. But it, it definitely it looks uh, amazing. Like I said, some of the stuff that's so abstract, uh, and I was reminded of in I think it is Inside Out where they they enter like two D world. And and they're like completely flat. So you get a lot of that kind of stuff here where like just the, 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 the imagination and the conceptual thinking that went into creating the abstract stuff, the the non-Earth stuff um, is really amazing.
0: Yeah. These, these mentors in the film that are, that are called Jerry's, but um, serve as these kind of like, uh, i don't know like they 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 kind of ferry souls from a to b right like they're really interesting and like the 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 afterlife which is supposed to be on screen right now this kind of white glowing orb of something like fascinating and 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 the way souls are counted these like abacus kind of thing i mean there's there's so much in like the afterlife stuff that's really interesting but most of our film is spent in new york Uh, which is actually really cool and a great place to kind of talk about the animation. I've never been in New York city. I've always wanted to go, of course. Um, But to hear the internet tell it, this film is like a brilliant tribute to like New York living. It feels very homegrown. It feels like what New York looks like. And I think that's good stuff. And I think the reason it does that is because of the animation, the animation is stunning in this film, in particular, the lighting and reflections is really incredible you'll see watching this trailer there's a lot of stage lighting there's a lot of unique like sources of light of color um but dude like if there's anything that really stands out it's it's the horns oh my god the horns look so good in this movie anytime there's a horn on screen a trumpet a trombone a french horn anything i I was just staring at it because it looks so good you're right they got all the nicks and the metal and all the fingerprints and like it just looks so crisp. It looks better than any horn I've ever seen in my whole life. And being a movie about jazz, that's particularly important, and, and Pixar nails it. Uh, it's yeah, stunning. well,
1: well, especially, um, you know, you get a lot of scenes of Joe Gardner playing the piano, and it's stunning. Like, it, it's completely accurate. Like, it, it doesn't insinuate. I mean, they probably had to motion capture someone actually uh, or performance capture someone actually playing the real the real thing and then animating it because um, it looks amazing it, it looks so uh convincing and that's an, another thing i wanted to talk about is that it's about jazz and that it's our lar- it's it's a, a black uh protagonist and it's largely about a uh, black community or a lot of black characters um, which is kind of the first time that pixar has done that where it's really centered around that so that's another really positive thing for representation
0: yeah, Pixar has started to step up their game as far as, like, mm, multifaceted, um, multicultural characters go, protagonists. I mean, having female protagonists in, in in Brave, who's Scottish, that that was a step forward. You know, having, having Coco um, be, like, a prominent feature, that was huge for them. So having a black protagonist uh, in New York with lots of black friends and black associates is, like, tremendous. Um, and really cool, because this movie doesn't feel... At least to me, and maybe this is my horrendously gentrified white reading of this movie, but like, it doesn't feel necessarily like a black story. It feels like a human story. Like, it feels like anybody can connect with this, even those of us who don't play music, even those of us who don't live in New York. Like, ultimately, like, what's happening at the core of this, this story about what it means to truly be alive, like, is really tremendous. It reminded me of something like uh, It's a Wonderful Life, right? George mm-hmm. Bailey having these moments of, of existential humanity when he can kind of rise above the rest of his life and see how he's affected other people. I, I think that's really powerful stuff. And and, and certainly Pete Doctor was... Taking a page out of his work in, in Inside Out to, to do that. And, and I think it's great. I, I really think it's great. I, I don't know if I'd say it's better than Inside Out, but to the right people, I, I think this will ring much louder. Um, and I really enjoyed it for that.
1: Yeah. And, and like, you know, the, the story of him being a musician who's frustrated and, you know, has a teaching gig, which he doesn't like. And, you know, I, can, I definitely can identify with that. And I, you know, I've known a lot of musicians who, who did quote unquote make it and, and, and got these, these kind of performing jobs. And, um, you know, it wasn't all, it was cracked up, to, up to be in a lot of ways. And there was a lot of sacrifice, you know, even after they got the gig that kind of went it, into it and, you know, and I know a lot of them actually move on to other, other things. Cause it, it's just not as kind of sustainable thing, even when you've made it sometimes.
0: Yeah. And I'm, I man, I'm, I'm a real bad sucker for stories like that. We watch It's a wonderful life every Christmas Eve. Um, and, like, I, I love this idea of, of you not having to become your ideal self to enjoy being alive. Like, this movie has a lot to say about life and death. It also has a lot to say about, like, anxiety and depression. Um, And that stuff's really effective. Uh, it's really good. I, I don't... For me, it didn't quite reach the emotional highs of something like Inside Out or Up, right? Um, But but it's, it's certainly an emotional film. And, and I really enjoyed what it's done for that it's one i'm gonna have to go back and watch again at some point i think because it's it's worth watching twice um i don't know if being in theaters would have made it any different for me but like man i i i really like what this movie has to say um there's definitely yeah.
1: a lot of that that i think like a lot especially a lot of the stuff that's not not earthly uh would be would look fantastic on on the big screen for sure i mean the theatrical experience is always going to be great if you can manage it, but it's. I was again. I was gl- glad to also watch it at home and on on my own time. Yeah, me uh, too. I wanted to mention there. There's uh, another. There's a lot of uh, supporting uh, people as well. Uh, one that stands out is uh, Rachel House who. Uh, she she's kind of she's she knows that Joe Gardner has kind of slipped out of the uh, going to the great beyond and, and is on a mission to to track him down. Uh, she's the she's really funny. She was also in Thor Ragnarok. She's she's one of the um she, uh, what do you call it? Comi- She's one of the comic relief people, and she's also in the Hunt for the Wilder people. She works with Taika Waititi a lot.
0: Was she the doctor? I'm thinking the wrong person. Was she the doctor in New Mutants? That's the same person?
1: No, 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 no. She's 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 a uh, um from New Zealand, and she's got a very uh, strong like New Zealand accent. And yeah, um, yeah. Again, it, it she's um like I said, you, you recognize her in Thor.
0: The supporting cast in this movie is like really tremendous because it's all smaller players, right? Rich, Richard Ayuade plays a character. Uh, Graham Lineman uh is, is is a character. Graham Norton, I'm sorry, uh, is 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 a character in this movie. Um, and they're all really fun. Like they they do these great kind of whimsical voices. They're really just them playing themselves, you know, played up, but like it offers a great level of perspective because Joe Gardner, I mean, ultimately, like all, all of his friends are black. He, he's from primarily black community. Um, I think those people are very down to earth. But for these characters that are very spiritual and like, you know, living in this alternate universe. Um, having these kind of wacky, like goofy voices to stand apart from like the normal folks in the movie, like, I think gives both sides a lot of weight. And it makes like Joe's moments on Earth feel like really, really more real, right? Because they're so rooted in reality that we understand watching the film. Um, it's abstract, but I really enjoyed it. Any other thoughts or for recommendations, Andy? I think I'm ready. Andy, would you recommend Soul?
1: Absolutely, it was. It's a really good film. It looks um, amazing. It's got a, a strong message about what it really means to be uh, living life. It's maybe a little bit too complex for younger audiences, um, but there's enough fun things in in the movie to kind of keep them involved. And it's not too long. It's only about an hour and forty five minutes. Um, so I, I really enjoyed it. It's on Disney Plus. Um, so yeah, highly recommended.
0: Yeah, I I think I'd recommend it as well. It is currently available on Disney+, Plus, so that's where you can watch it if you'd like. Um, It's an odd kind of film, and and like I said, I don't think it necessarily reaches the emotional depths of something like Inside Out, but it's very similar in tone, and ultimately, I think if you're an adult who's a little jaded, uh, who's maybe a little frustrated at where you're at, especially in 2020, especially in coronavirus, right, And, and is looking for some perspective, like, you could do much worse. Uh, than watching Disney Pixar Soul, it's like ninety five minutes. It's nice and tight. Animation looks great. Uh, highly encouraged. It's good stuff. Two thumbs up. And with that, that wraps our show for the week. Andy, what are we watching uh, next week?
1: So we still got a couple of new films coming up. Uh, we have a uh, promising young woman, uh, which is stars Carrie Mulligan and is a kind of dark comedy revenge film, uh, which I, I'm very excited to see. It actually came out Christmas Day. It is only in theaters, uh, so we're going to be watching that. And then also Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, which is uh, going to be streaming on Netflix, which was, of course, Chadwick Boseman's uh, final film and also stars uh, Viola Davis, so we'll be watching that as well.
0: I'm very anxious to go see Promising Young Woman. Um, I, I want that movie to what am I supersede my expectations. I've seen the trailer a couple times. I think I have an idea of what's going on in that movie and what's going to happen. I really hope it's more than that. Um, but I, from what I've heard, it's really good. The box office numbers don't say it's good, but from people I know who have seen it, it's pretty tremendous. So I'm excited to go see what that's about. And then Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, it's on Netflix. Anybody can watch it. And supposedly it's also pretty solid. Chadwick Boseman's final performance. So I'm excited to watch that as well. If... You enjoyed the show today. If you want to know more about what we're doing, if you're excited to hear our top 10 of 2020 list next week, you can tune into the show. You can subscribe. You can rate and review to get more of the show. You can find us on Facebook where we stream our our episodes live every single Tuesday. You can find us on YouTube where our episodes are archived. We're on iTunes. We're on Spotify. We're on Google Play. We're in all those places. On Twitter, on Instagram. And you can mail us at mail at offscriptfilmreview.com. Write us a message. Tell us what you thought about Wonder Woman 1984. What you thought about Soul. Any hot takes on this DC Extended Universe stuff. Or maybe uh, some hot takes on what we're watching next week. So, with that being said, thank you so much for listening. Uh, From all of us at Offscript, the home of Bold Cinema, I'm Zach Lewis.
1: And I'm Dr. Draper.
0: Thanks for listening. Got it. Ah, all right. (sighs) Not too shabby. Got him.